The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome again to Our Father's Heart. This particular episode, I'm going to actually divide it up into two parts. And I actually found it in my archives uh, from things that I shared in 2020. That's where the recent podcasts have come from, from 2020. And I remember we were ministering to a a couple during uh, the COVID lockdowns, now that I remember. Um, and we met with this particular couple, uh, brother and sister, uh, whom we love and uh, are doing very well and have already had their first child. Um, so we're very happy for them. But we minister to them as a part of marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I should say. Um, before they got married. And we had several sessions that we were uh, ministering to them and addressing uh, issues that you want to address before you get married. And then I wanted to end our series of, of meetings with a direct teaching on the responsibilities of the man and the woman in regards to the family. And so I found this in my archives and I felt like, okay, this is, this is something I do want to share. And so I'm going to divide it up into two parts. And the first part is going to focus on the man's responsibility. And then the next episode will be the women's responsibility, uh, in the relationship, in the marriage, uh, the responsibility, um, is important for us to recognize and acknowledge before we go into marriage because there, whether we like it or not, there are certain levels of expectation. And because of our uh, different um, experiences as we were raised or as our parents uh, raised us and their relationships are going to color our expectations. But our expectations should not be derived from our experiences in life, mainly because we're living in the world and the world does not uh, submit itself to the laws of the kingdom of God. We need to look into his word for direction. We need to look into his word for instruction. We need to look into his word for what are the expectations that he requires of us and then walk out those responsibilities. And if we do that, our endeavors in this life will be blessed. Um, and so will our marriages. So with that small introduction, I hope that this teaching, which also has, you know, certain portions of it my wife and I were just sharing of our experiences and, and ministering through the experiences that we've had and what Jesus has done through us and our relationship and how it's, 
how we've had to <laughs> grind things out sometimes and how we had to humble ourselves and and just it, it, it's more uh I guess it would be more relatable for those that are in marriages because we all share those kind of experiences of how we struggle to come together uh, and become one. Uh, so you're going to hear those as well. And if you've listened to our Father's Heart podcast for any period of time or actually for an extended period of time, you've probably caught on to the fact that I believe that when we testify of Jesus in our lives, that it is a spirit of prophecy to others. And I believe there's an anointing on this, you know, next two episodes, not just on the teaching, but also on the experiences that we do share. Um, and you'll see that they're kind of very much in line with the testimonies that we've already shared in previous podcasts. If you've listened to those testimonies of our Father's Heart, part one and part two, and then you'll get just a little bit more in-depth uh, detail because we're really focused on our marriage and how we kind of work through things and how, you know, we try to apply the word to our lives. And it it's not easy sometimes. Uh, it's probably harder for those that are, <laughs> how should I say, uh, strong in carnality. <laughs> You know, we, we really have to humble ourselves and humbling ourselves is putting aside and putting to death the things of the flesh so that we could walk in the leading of the spirit of God. And so, again, I'm sure everyone, whether you're married or not, because if you're not married and you listen to these next episodes and, and you're looking into, you know, in the future, wanting to become married, I think these uh, nuggets of wisdom uh, that are shared through the word and through our experiences are going to help maybe calibrate your paradigm and what you want to start developing in your own heart, in your own life as an individual, so that when the time is right, when the moment comes that you do meet uh that partner that the Lord has for you that you choose, um, you're going to be ready to step into the shoes that are necessary because the marriage responsibility is far and vastly different than an individual single's responsibility. And you got to be ready to step into those shoes. But if you don't know what to expect, you're in for a rude awakening. So it'll be a blessing for those that hear it that are not married. It'll be a blessing for those that hear it that are married. And the blessing is really not just in the hearing. It is more so in the doing. And what I mean by that is when you apply God's word to your life, to the different facets of your life, whether you're single, whether you're married, you're going to be blessed and God is going to favor you uh, because of your obedience. So with that, I hope you enjoyed the next episodes on divine familial responsibility. We're going to kind of address it right from the very genesis of it all. So if you have your Bible and can turn to Genesis uh, chapter 2, and hopefully you're not shy and you'll read out loud. <laughs> Keeps them awake. Monica, no, God knows what he's doing.
being charming. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, what? Hold, hold on, let me see. Um, yeah, Genesis chapter 2 starts off with the completion of the seventh day. And then it begins to talk in verse 4 through 25. Yeah, we'll start in verse 4. And we'll just read it through and kind of, uh, you know, glean from it what we can. And then I'll just kind of add on to it as, as we um, kind of rehash it again. So let's read two verses at a time, starting in verse 4. And we'll just go around clockwise. Okay? That would be you. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for life, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, which is compassive, the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Pedelium and the Onyx Stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and the same is it that cometh, compasseth, compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third is Hidekel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded that man, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found, and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And 
they were both naked, the man and his wife. All right. So this is the re re. It's the more focused story. If you read chapter one, chapter one talks about all seven days of creation, what he did all throughout the seven days, and on the sixth day he created man. But in chapter two, he focuses on. How specifically did he create man and what were some of the things that he did specifically with man, separate and apart from all creation? Um, so, God is self-sufficient. We know he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's, he's uh, uh, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. All three. I try to remember this. And he doesn't need anything. But for some reason, he created all of these things. And if you read through chapter one, he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. And it seems as if he created to allow his creation to enjoy as much as he enjoys himself. He gave man all of this dominion uh, over what he created. And God was looking over man. God was covering him. God was watching over and protecting him. And yet he was giving man... Adam, the male, responsibility. I don't know if you noticed, but we didn't really get to the woman until the end. So he created man first. And in, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 26, he says he created man to have dominion over all the earth. That means he was having stewardship. He was managing God's creation. God created all of this and said, man, I'm going to place you as the one who's going to oversee and take care of it. So one of the things that we need to consider um, and how this relates to us forming our, our new family is that before family comes purpose. He didn't create a family first. He created man. And before he, cre he, start he, he brought out the woman from the man, he gave that man purpose. He gave that man responsibility. And so man rules, has responsibility under God because God is his head. And so when we look at, at chapter one on the creation of man and the Garden of Eden, it's as if this is his home. This is man's home, the Garden of Eden. And Adam was given everything in that garden. Everything was, was uh, already made for him. He didn't have to till the ground. He didn't have to plow the fields. He didn't have to plant the seeds. All of it was given for him. And his purpose was to have dominion over it, to oversee it. And so the same is with the family. And when we prepare the children to leave the home, it's the father and the mother, their relationship, that is the most important thing for that to take place. So in verse 15, it shows God gave him a job. God gave him responsibility before he gave him Eve. Eve was not around at the time. It says that he commanded God, uh, you can eat of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day you shall surely die. And so God gave Adam a choice right there in that moment. You're either going to obey me, I'm your head, or you're not. I have to give you that choice. And you have to be willing to choose me over choosing something that you desire in and of yourself on your own. And God lets you choose freely. God has always done that. Whether you're married or not, God gives everyone that choice. It's 
beyond the gift of the Holy Ghost, I think it's the most powerful thing he's ever given man, the power to choose him or to choose opposite of him. So man needed to rule by choice, by his own will, meaning that he had to voluntarily choose because he wasn't out here making robots. That wasn't his intent. He wanted free will beings that were going to freely choose him, recognizing his you know, his power, his majesty, his authority, but also his love and his care and his nurturing for them. So in verse 18, that's when we see male and females were created. They were created at a separate time. Animals, they were all created at the same time. But man or male and female were created at different times. So because of this, there's a hierarchy of responsibility. God has given first the responsibility to man. He didn't give it to woman. So who, uh, who has the responsibility of Adam? In their relationship, you mean? Right now, j- alone, because without the woman, who is responsible for Adam? Who's taking responsibility? As far as, uh, as, far as in, in this, in up to verse 18. Right now in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone and I will make a help meet for him. So the woman is not around. Who is responsible for Adam in this moment? God. God is his head. God is totally responsible for him and is watching over him and is giving him purpose and is showing him all the things that he's made for him. So then in God's uh, wealth and wisdom of understanding, he realizes it's not good that he's alone. So he's loving him, but he's also realizing there needs to be something to be a companion to him, something to be uh, a help me for him. So he sees a need that Adam doesn't even see in himself. So Adam is God's responsibility. Then comes Eve. So who's the responsibility of Eve? Right, sorry, who's responsible for Eve? Then it would be then it would be Adam. So there's there's a there's a hierarchy of responsibility here. So God made Eve for what purpose? According to what we read, what little we've read so far. What was the purpose of making Eve? For Adam, so he wouldn't be alone. So Eve was made for Adam, specifically. She she wasn't made for any other purpose. She wasn't made to help take care of this flower or help take care of this beautiful tasting fruit. No, she was specifically made for him. And so God made Eve to assist man who was assisting God by doing God's will. And so when you look at these, this chapter and you try to, how does this relate to family? Well, first, Jordan has to be in the right place with God. Jordan has to know what his purpose is in God. He has to hear from God for himself what his calling is. And if he should find a wife, as he has already done, that woman needs to realize that he's already got a purpose and she needs to come alongside him to fulfill his purpose in God. And when you read the New Covenant Scriptures, I don't want you to think that he has no care for the woman. You know, because in, in we just read it yesterday in a, in a Bible study we were conducting online. Um, 
that man was not created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. And man did not come from the woman. The woman came out of the man. But then you read a couple verses down. Paul is saying, yet the woman, uh, how do we get men now? We get them through the woman. They're born through the woman. So there's an interdependency there, yet they have different roles. They have different functions in the family, but they're both equally important. They both, when they fulfilled their, their own calling or their own purpose, they complement one another so that they can fulfill God's will more fully and more completely. So every man has a calling or no, every man has a calling. And if they find a woman, a wife, then the needs of the woman needs to coincide with the calling that the man has. Because there are some relationships that we've seen where, uh, you know, they've tried to start a relationship and as they started the relationship, the heart, the, the, the man's heart was in a certain direction, even though they had a great relationship. But for whatever reason, the woman's heart was in a different direction. It's almost as if God was calling them this way and they realized, okay, we're not, compatible. We're not going to be able to, at least in our perspective, be able to fulfill God's calling on our life by having a relationship. So let's, you go your way because God is calling you to do this. And I believe that. And then someone else is going this way. But when you come together, there has to be an understanding that I am going to be your companion. I'm going to be your helpmeet in order to fill God's calling on your life. And then it's going to become our calling. It's going to come, this is what God has called us to do, rather than not just what, what he's called the man to do. So after God does what he does with Adam and tells him what to do, it's after that that he then gets a wife. Now, it isn't wrong to want a wife, but if there's a desire to have a wife, then that wife has to merge her skills, merge her gifts and her talents to the calling of the man so that they could fulfill God's will uh, for their life. So in verse 20, we read, Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. Adam lacked something. And, and again, he didn't know this, but God knew that he lacked something. And so when a man and, and a, a, a woman, a husband and a wife do come together, he should be more complete now. He should be more whole now. There should have been something that was lacking in him that he needed so that he can go out and fulfill perfectly uh, the will of God. And it says in verse 23, if, or you notice, you know, Adam... Um, says, this is now bone of my phone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called wool man. So she takes his name. She's not wooeve or something, but he was named man and she became woman. And, and in, in the Hebrew, it's his name is Ish and her name was Isha. So she took his name and they became one. You know, out of his name, she became. And so even in the name, you see that she was brought out of him and still completing him. So we know what happened in chapter three, or hopefully we should know what happened in chapter three and how the, the fall of man came. 
And we talked about this yesterday in the Bible study, so it's really interesting. Um, chapter 3 talks about the fall. And if we were to read chapter 3, we would find out that the serpent, that was the devil, uh, obviously hates God. We, we know that from the scriptures. And he wanted to disrupt this wonderful thing that God had done in all of his creation. And he approaches the woman. He doesn't speak to the man. He approaches her. And based upon what we just read, when God had given dominion to man, he was speaking to Adam. Eve wasn't around. He said, this is all yours. You can eat of any tree you want, except that one. So he told that to Adam. And then Eve came about. And so Eve then begins to have a conversation with the serpent. And the serpent is questioning the things that God had said Yet if you stop and think about it, was Eve around when God said what he said? He wasn't around at all. She wasn't around at all. And so she's now trying to have a, a, a back and forth with the serpent about the word that she wasn't even around to hear. So the first thing that I notice is that the woman, instead of trying to do stuff on her own, she should have gone immediately to her husband. Because her husband was the one that told her what God had said. Because she wasn't around. How else would she know about not eating of the tree? She had to learn it from her husband who was told specifically by God, don't eat from that tree. He says, if we do, we're going to surely die. So she tries to engage with something that's unnatural. The serpent speaking to Eve and Adam. And you know, all Adam did was call them their names. Didn't say he was speaking to them. Says there was no one compatible for him. He spoke with his wife. So that's the first thing. We must recognize our covering. God was Adam's covering. Adam was his wife's covering. And the moment we, we the man or the woman, comes out from under our covering, that means that we come out from under his authority and what he's telling us to do to go do our own thing. And the man can do it and the woman can do it. The man could do it by just starting to do things that he thinks is right, but he's not going to God to say, hey, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is your word tell me that this is okay? He starts doing stuff on his own. That creates a lot of havoc and destruction, but so it does when the woman does the same thing. It's not that the woman can't go do things on her own, but when you come into a covenantal relationship under God, you have to recognize that you're under that man's covering. He's going to cover you. He's going to protect you. He's going to supply you all of your needs. So you can't go about doing all these things on your own. You have to check with him. You have to make sure that that's even what he wants to represent us as. Because maybe he doesn't like the idea of what you're about to do or how you're about to do it or how you're going to say it. He's got a certain way that he wants to present himself or express himself. And the closer you come together, the more you're going to understand that of each other. And the man is going to do the same thing to the woman. The woman is, <laughs> the man is going to realize that the woman doesn't like it when you say this or, or do this in a certain way or express us in this way. Or, you know, we've had people that, or my wife more so has known a, a couple in a relationship where the man was very um, flaunting about their marital relationship and kind of exposing their private intimate moments. 
The woman didn't like that at all, period, point blank. Yet he would do that. And so he wasn't really respecting her of that. So I'm saying that the respect for each other and how each other wants to be presented, it should be amicable. It should be agreeable on both of your parts because you're representing not individually one, you're representing each other as one. And so Satan confronted the woman. He didn't talk to the man. And they fell. And one of the things that we, we noticed um, when we talked about it yesterday is the woman had done all of these things, was, you know, engaging with the serpent and then looking at the, the fruit and saying, hmm, it looks good to eat. And then she took up the, the, the fruit and she ate it and nothing happened. Did you notice that? Nothing happened. She ate of it. But what happened was the man was there. If you read through chapter 3, it gives you the impression that he was there the whole time. He just didn't say anything. Because as soon as she ate of the fruit, she went to Adam and said, here, have some. And he looked at her and like, nothing happened? Like, But he should have stopped it right there. He should have stopped it before that. But he should have stopped it right there and said, wait a second. The Lord said not to eat of this. So now he had a choice. Am I going to listen to my wife? Or am I going to listen to God? And because he listened to his wife over God, we're in the situation we're in right now. And so when God came afterward, after they fell and after they hid away and started trying to cover themselves with different you know, leaves and stuff, and he was calling out for the serpent? No. He was calling out for Eve? Eve, hey Eve, where are you? No. Who was he calling out for? He was calling out for Adam. He's always going to go to the one that's in authority, the one that's in headship. Now, he was there watching the whole time, but he gave Adam a test. Eat of all the trees. I'll leave all the trees you want. Just don't eat of this tree. And so he had already told him. Now he was just watching to see what he was going to do. And so man needs to run his home according to God's creation, according to God's instruction. So a tremendous amount, a huge amount, maybe all the amount of responsibility is on your shoulders to make sure that when you're in, you're in covenant with your wife, that you are running things according to what God has dictated to you and not your own bright ideas. I had my own bright ideas. They weren't very bright when I compared them to the light and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and what he wanted me to do. So... The obedience and the delay of obedience led to eating of the wrong tree, which then destroyed their whole family. So, when we look at Genesis and we look at the family, happiness is important. It's important to be happy in a family. But what it's secondary to the primary purpose which is God's purpose. If you two are fulfilling God's purpose, you're going to be surrounded with favor. You're going to be surrounded with, doors are going to open for you and the places that he doesn't want you to go, they're going to close for you because you are putting his primary purpose as your priority. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, not my human will, but thine's be done. And so that's how your 
relationship needs to grow spiritually is when you both put God's purposes first. When you make your decisions, is this fulfilling God's purpose or is it just because this is what I want? And sometimes what you want is a desire that God has put in your heart, but as you grow and mature in the Lord, you have to learn to discern the difference between your desires and what are God's desires. You also also recognize that your marriage, even though you two made the decision, it's God's creation. God is the one who ordained marriage. It is man that has redefined marriage within the last five, ten years and said that it's something else entirely, not what God said it was. So man must have a job. We've already said that. Man must be given his word. We've already said that. And he must bring his responsibility and the word to his family. Because that's what Adam did with Eve. He said, hey, don't eat of any of the, eat of all the trees, but just not that one. And so he's not only responsible for the natural means of the family, he's also responsible for the spiritual needs of the family. Because he's going to be the spiritual head of the home. Let's go to uh, Genesis 2.24. When you get married, there's a couple things that need to take place that I want to kind of highlight here. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There's got to be a cutting of the cord. Um... And the the cord is the relationship you have to your parents because that's the family that you were raised in. And when you're not married, your father is your covering. You can read that in Numbers uh, chapter 30. We just went over that Saturday. It's amazing how some of the things that I wasn't even expecting were connecting. We're connecting. But Numbers 30 uh, shares that when a daughter is unmarried, their father is their covering. But when they're married... It's no longer the father in the picture. It's the husband that is the covering. So there needs to be a cutting of your relationships in the sense that you recognize my father is not my covering anymore. My husband is my covering. I answer to him. I have become one in flesh with him, not my father, not my mother, or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a natural thing that there should be some severing of that relationship. Not that they're not you know, related to you anymore, but that you're answerable, you're accountable to someone new now. That's why it's so important as parents that we want our children to, hey, we want you to reflect our values you know, in, our, in our, our things here. And when you run about doing stuff that we don't like, obviously it's a reflection on us and, and obviously we don't like that. And so we do the same thing with our father. Uh, it's important that we recognize that when he's called us uh, individually and a called us together in marriage that we are the representation of his ideas, of his values, of his thoughts on the earth. So the relationship that you had with your father and mother, it's that emotional attachment becomes secondary. And we need to recognize it. We need to be ready to relinquish that um, because you are starting now a new family under a new headship and wherever your head goes, that's where you're going to go. Number two, that separation has to happen and it's almost simultaneously, their clinging must have happened. There needs to be a gluing process 
uh, that starts to happen where the man is clinging to his wife and the woman or the, the, the wife is clinging uh, to his man. And it's very, very important that the man realize this because the man is the depiction of Christ and the woman is the depiction of the church. And when man clings to his wife, it's expressing Christ's faithfulness to his bride. He'll never leave her. He'll never forsake her. And she must find that security in that covering with you. That needs to be expressed by you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you till death do us part. It really means something. In sickness and in health, it really means something. They take those because they're attributes of the scriptures that God is never, ever going to leave or forsake you. Yet his people have done that with him. And that's why we call it, they broke covenant. They're the ones that disobeyed. They're the ones that rebelled. Yet he remained faithful to them. Yet they're the ones that walked away. No matter how hard it is, you don't surrender, you don't quit, you don't give up on on your relationship with her. And then there's another thing that, that happens. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. There's a conforming, there's a, there's a as, as you glue together, you become more and more like unbreakable bond. You become like, wow, you, you're one. Like when metal it, it, in the fires, uh, it, it, it melds with the metal and it's, it's one piece now. And that's what's got to become, or that's what's got to happen here. And it's a process. It says, they shall become one flesh. And that practice happens over your life. It happens over time. And it's God's way. She must affirm him and join with him. Even though the husband and the wife as individuals are different, you marry them regardless. And God, through his divine purposes and, and power and will, is able to meld you into one. In oneness and purpose. And then the last part, maybe not um, highlighted for, uh, for us as much here, is communication. The intimacy that you'll have with one another is that you're not ashamed, as it says there. You both need to be number one in each other's life. Because when it's all said and done... You can't be relying on your father. You can't be relying on your mother or your brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your uncles or your aunts. You two will be relying on each other. So relationship first and then intimacy. And I'll read Psalm 'Cause this is how God builds. It says, Except the Lord build the house, you'll labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. This institution of marriage that we're talking about is created by God. And in order for it to function right, the man has to be answerable to God, not to the woman, but to God. 
And then you, in turn, must be also answerable to him. And if you walk in that, then it's the Lord building the house. If you think that your ideas are better than his or your thoughts are better than his, then you will be laboring in vain. Which is why you need to know the scriptures, why you need to study, not just read, but study the word and make sure that you are fulfilling the requirements that God has for you as an individual and the requirements that he has for you as a, as, as a marriage covenant. So what does that look like in regards to a husband? What are some of your requirements of responsibility? We're going to go to Ephesians 5. And we will start in verse 25. I'll read to start and then we'll go around. Ephesians 5, 25 through verse 33. Husbands... Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loved his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourished it and he cherisheth it, even as God, or even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they, sh- they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The first thing that's a responsibility of the husband to his wife is that you love your wife. How do you love your wife? That you're willing to give yourself up for her, just as Christ did the church. The only way that you can measure your love is by your sacrifice. It's not your fulfillment. It's not your satisfaction. It's not your enjoyment in the relationship. It's how much are you sacrificing for her. She needs to get the sense that, again, we are depicting Christ's relationship with the church. That was that great mystery that was set. I speak concerning Christ and the church. The man is fulfilling that representation of Christ and the woman is fulfilling that representation of the church. And exactly what Christ did for the church is exactly what it requires of the man in this relationship. And so the church should consider, or the just as the church considers Christ her savior, the woman should consider the husband like my savior, like my deliverer. She should find in him her deliverance uh, and, and her, her ability to be saved, in a sense. A man, this is a quote, I'm going to just read it. A man doesn't love his wife because she deserves to be loved. 
A man loves his wife to turn his wife into someone he wants to love. The church was not perfect. He chose the church before the church chose him. And, and the church was a mess. The people, the humans, were a mess in sin, in defilement, in corruption, in decay. And he chose to love men, especially those that were going to return and reciprocate that love back to him. He was going to love them while they were yet sinners. I'm going to die for them, even though I know many of them, billions of them would not choose me. And I love them first because I want to turn them into someone that I love. And so in the same sense, we recognize that we're not perfect at the time. But my love for you as the man's love for his wife is going to turn her into that precious and beautiful jewel that I want to love. But if I withhold that love, then that process is not going to take place. God, through Christ, in loving the church, it says here that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word so that he present to himself a glorious church. See, before it wasn't. But because he's going to sanctify them through his word, because he's going to love the church, he's going to bring her to the place where he's, he's actually going to, that's who I want to love. It's not about I'm going to love her until she learns to meet my needs. That's, that's, not, that, that's going to uh, sink before it ever swims. So the husband acts as the savior to his wife, and that is at the heart of it. It's sacrifice. The man needs to love his Christ as Christ loved the church even unto death. Now, when it says that he sanctifies her, we try to make that practical. How, how does he sanctify her? How does he set her apart? Because that's what sanctification is, set her apart for a special use. Well, sometimes that might look like to love is to be the Mr. Fix-It. What is Jesus to the church? He fixes it. Whatever's wrong, he's fixing it. Because he can, because he's capable. But yet we, as the man, shoulder a huge responsibility that when we think about it carnally, it's like, I can't, I can't. But yet Christ said, through all things, I can, do, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So there are times where it may feel that way, but God has put you in a place and he's going to equip you to be that Mr. Fix-It. To cleanse her, to nourish her, to bring her to the place that God wants her to be. So in verse 28, husbands love your wives as your own body. Be her satisfier. I mean, you want to be satisfied. Well, be her satisfier. Because that's how you love yourself. You take care of yourself. You want to look good. You might get good clothes. You want to uh, dress nicely. You want to smell nicely. You want to take good showers. You take care of yourself. You keep yourself clean, you keep yourself healthy, you go to the gym or you go and eat healthy. You do all these things because you actually do love yourself. You take care of yourself. Well, you need to do the same thing with your wife. That's, that's demanded 
uh, by the Lord because that's how he takes care of the church. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it gives you some wise words indeed. 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, likewise, ye husbands dwell with them. Who's them? Their wives. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life so that your prayers be not hindered. So you're to honor her. You're to respect her. Yeah, she is the weaker vessel, but that doesn't mean you treat her as such. You actually treat her with more care, with more sensitivity, with more compassion, because she is the weaker vessel. And that, that, that's no different than what he calls the different members of the body to do with the weaker members of the body. What does he tell us? He tells us to bear them. Bear them and strengthen them and help them and encourage them. Not, oh, they're weak. We're just going to leave them behind. No, that's, that's not the way it works. So dwelling with understanding is that part of the relationship that only happens over time where you get to understand your wife and all of the intricacies and the idiosyncrasies and all of the little goods, the bads and the uglies, because uh, we all have them, but you learn them and you learn how to dwell with them and you learn how to help her through those hard times, through those struggling times. I mean, obviously the, the one that comes to mind most is that monthly thing that happens and you, you got to kind of figure out a way how, how you help them through that because uh, God knows I would not like to be a woman. <laughs> no. <laughs> Every single month having to deal with the, and the cramps and the not feeling well and oh, no, 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 no. But now they're married with you. And so you married into that too. And so you got to find a way to deal with it. And, and you know, it may not just be that. There may be other times. I mean, in sickness and in health, I mean, sometimes our, our, our wives might go through something that I'm totally not expected. And yet you're expected uh, to be there for them and to live with them with understanding. So... You need to know your wife. You need to want to get to know your wife. And when you know your wife, then you can understand her ways. You can understand her times. And, and you find ways to be there for her, to be a comfort unto her, to help her get through those, uh, those situations in life that she might have to deal with. And you're going to need to sacrifice to get to know her. Because it'll be really easy to like, oh, whatever, I'm... And go off and do your own thing. And sometimes you may just have to ask her to teach you about her. Because maybe there's some things, even though you guys have talked a lot, I get it. There may be some things that she just hasn't shown you. Not that she's hiding it, but she, we haven't gotten there. <laughs> and so you want to be open to those times where she actually teaches you something new about herself. Uh, maybe something she experienced that she just, oh wow, I just remembered that type of thing. Women want to be understood. They do. But it takes time because men are on different wavelengths sometimes. And so sometimes it takes time to get, oh, okay, and now I really understand. Now I really got it. Um, 
And so you got to be willing to listen. You got to be willing to take the time to listen to her, honor her. Uh, that's that's just treating her in a special way, treating her better uh, or, or in a different way than you treat any other woman out there. You might be respectable and honorable to all women, and that's great, that's good. But you want to treat her in a way that's even more special. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not telling you to do this, but we, you know, for people, husbands, I call it. Oh, that's my queen. That's my queen. <laughs> I, probably more in your culture, I've heard that. I'm not outside that culture, but, you know, I've heard that. That's my queen. That's, you know, something to say, my first lady, you know. Okay. But just make her feel special by your words. Make her feel special by the gifts that you do for her when you just go out of your way uh, to do something for her. Be consistent. Um, be consistent. Be something that, because the consistency is going to bring about, yeah, I can trust him. I, I feel I can feel secure in that, um, and then have her know that she is significant, that she is important, that her thoughts are important, even when you disagree. <laughs> because you will disagree, and you will. It it may not be a disagree that she's wrong, you're right. It may be a disagree that. There could be multiple ways to do a particular thing, but you just prefer a certain way. Mm-hmm. And she just prefers to do it a different way, but you don't like that way. So you're going to do it your way because that you're entitled to that. You're, it's, it's under your authority to just make that decision. And in the end, you'll live with it, whether it happens to be good or bad, but that's the way you want her to do it. It's not that she's wrong. There's a myriad of ways. There's not just two ways, her way and my way. There's multiple ways, but I'm choosing this way. Because I, I'm just kind of used to it. And then she's got to come alongside and just do it in that way. Um, but she, her thoughts, her feelings about the matter, somehow you got to figure out a way. I heard you. I, I hear you. I, I value them. But this is what I'm choosing to do. Without demeaning. Without putting her down in any way. Um, but, but just kind of matter-of-factly have her know. I understand that that's... Certainly valid. That that's certainly one way to do it. <laughs> but this is the way I want to do it, and and then you just go with that. And then there, I can't tell you now. Now it's just personal experience. I can't tell you how many times um, that I had a particular way of doing something in my mind, and because I listened to my wife and heard her, I thought, oh, you know what? You know, I yeah, we'll do it that way. And, and her ideas will be good. And what's that going to do is just going to validate her. Yes, I can bring something to this relationship, you know, and, and be valuable and, and be considered, uh, you know, uh, something that, that's important in this relationship. And then it says, when you have your conflicts, um, going back to, to what it said, if we don't, Dwell with them in knowledge. If we don't give honor unto them. Because they are heirs of the eternal life that we're going to have too. It's not like only the males that God created are going to be saved. No, the males and the females. Because Adam was both male and female. Not the name Adam, but Adam just means man. Man was both male and female. He's going to save them both. We recognize that we're both going to um, receive this salvation and if we don't do those things, what's going to happen? Our prayers are going to be hindered. And then he says that to the church. He says, if you have aught with, with a fellow brother, 
Don't come to me and pray to me. No, 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 no. Don't bring your alms or anything. No, go and deal with that situation with your brother or your sister who offended you or you offended them. Fix that situation and then come. Well, the same thing's going to happen with you and your marriage. You can't think that you're going to be able to pray for God to do this and God, please do this and please do this. And yet you have an ought with your wife and you don't want to deal with it. Or maybe you dealt with it in a very bad way and you haven't repented of it and you haven't apologized and you haven't tried to fix the situation. But you think you're going to go to God and get what you want? It's not going to happen. Your prayers are going to be hindered. So you always want to make sure that your relationship uh, with your wife is as good as can be and that you sleep in at peace and if you have to sleep on it don't let the sun go down on your angle i know the scriptures say but sometimes you just need to sleep on it and then get back to it at another time where you kind of just let the dust settle everybody can breathe some fresh air again and then okay let's let's talk about this again um it's not going to be easy It's, it's going to be difficult at times but um if both of you remain with your hearts consecrated to the lord to want to do his purpose um and recognizing what your responsibilities are and how sometimes you have to just simply conform, sometimes you have to simply um, meet each other halfway, then everything's going to be all right. So we don't ask, is the marriage going to work? The question is, are you going to work for the marriage? Are you going to work it out? Because it's not just going to all of a sudden, oh, this is great and you didn't do anything about it. It doesn't work that way. We're both fallen people. You know, but to thank God that we're both about to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we say both of us have the gift of the Holy Ghost and he's going to work it all out. He's going to make it uh, possible for us. So that was a man's responsibility. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and we're blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash J Ben Jesus or Cash App dollar sign J Ben Jesus or Venmo J Ben Jesus that's J B E N J E S U S God bless